Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. This morning I want to um, teach you a little bit something um, concerning a certain part of the Bible. Just a certain part of the Bible I want to talk about. And um, it's John's Gospel, chapter 14, 15, and 16. Now you'll be pleased to know we're not going to look at it all. But John 14, 15, and 16 are a very uh, interesting, unique, fascinating, important part of the New Testament. And the reason is because in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus teaches, and it's just to his disciples, no one else is there. And he teaches them about something that is about to happen to them. And incidentally, of course, something that is happening to us today. He teaches them about the coming of the Holy Spirit into their lives. And the things that he pours into them, if you like, one mustn't say from the horse's mouth and speaking of God, but right from the lips of God comes this incredible teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit that we really need to understand if we're going to fully appreciate who the Holy Spirit is and His power and His work in our lives. And so this morning, just for, just for a few minutes, I, wanted to, I want to just read and talk about some of the things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And maybe some of this will be a reminder to you, but other parts might be really very new or a different angle on it, maybe. So what difference, this person that Jesus was speaking about, what difference was he going to make in their lives? These 12 guys standing there, was Judas with them? I'm not quite sure. Maybe not at that time. These guys, he says to them, now I want to tell you something. I am going to go away. That's what he's saying to them. You thought I was going to stay with you, but I'm not. I am going to go away. But when I go, I will not leave you alone. I am going to send to you Someone who will be exactly the same as me. And it's going to be better that I go away because, for that reason. Because something better than me is going to take my place. That's what he's saying to them. And I've isolated just three things that the Holy Spirit was, was going to do for them and, and also going to do for us. And part of the dynamic of having this spirit-filled life, living it to the max. So here's number one. Jesus said he was going to come 
to be their life partner. To be their life partner. John 14 and verse 16. Please read this with me. Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. With that, I don't unpack too much deep stuff this morning, but that phrase, another counselor, is in, it, in its original language, in the simplest way I can explain it, meaning someone just the same as me. It, uh, it's a certain type of Greek word used for another, which means another of exactly the same kind. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you another counselor, someone exactly of the same type and kind as me. To be with you forever. Please say forever. Forever. Someone is coming, he says, and he is going to be with you forever. And then he names him the Spirit of truth, verse 17. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, the world are going to think you're crazy because you are going to be talking about having an invisible friend. And people are going to think that you've gone mad. People are going to think that you've got some sort of imaginary mate, an imaginary friend. But he says the world won't be able to accept this because they can't see him. And they cannot know him. But you are going to be able to know him. He says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him. He doesn't say you're going to see him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So this is the first thing that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Nothing to do with fire from the sky. Nothing to do with tongues. Nothing to do with feeling, having experiences. Nothing to do with prophesying. These things are components of his presence, of course. But the initial thing is this. He's going to come. He's going to be invisible. The world aren't going to believe you, but he's going to come and live in you. He's going to live with you and in you. And this is exactly, of course, true today. The Holy Spirit has come to live in us and with us. And sometimes you'll be glad, as you try to imagine how he's working in your life, you'll be glad he's in you. And sometimes you'll be glad to think of him as being with you. But of course both things are true because he is everywhere. Jesus said he's going to come and be your life partner. And we highlighted the word, he's going to be with you forever. Now, there's a reason I wanted to highlight that word. Because here, Jesus is introducing 
an, a big change from the Old Testament days. In the Old Testament days, the Holy Spirit is a very strong featured character. But there is something about him in the Old Testament that is very different to what happens in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, and it's very hard to be very, very precise about these things, but it's almost as if the Holy Spirit comes upon people, wraps them in himself, gives them power to do a job. And then when the job is done, he departs from them until such a time as they need to do that job again. And then he comes to them, equips them to do the job, whether that's the judges of Israel with their strength or their wisdom, whether that is the abilities the prophets had to prophesy. But a real sense of him coming and sort of going as much as an omnipresent person can go anywhere. But a sense of him coming and going. The Spirit of God came upon Samson, but then there was another occasion where the Spirit of God was not upon Samson. He came and he went. And then, in the New Testament, a word comes to John the Baptist. And that word is this. You are going to know who the Messiah is because you will see the Spirit come upon him and alight upon him, remain upon him. Not depart from him at all, but remain upon him. And now, <coughs> Jesus brings this to its final conclusion. He says, this Holy Spirit who's been with me, he's now going to be with you. And he's going to be with you forever. He's not going to come and go. He's going to come and stay. You ever had that happen? Someone knock on the door, relative, hello. I've come to stay. You say, thank God. I'm so glad to see you. But you keep your fingers crossed. He's arrived. Bags in tow. He's come to stay. And he hasn't come to stay for a fortnight. He's come to stay with you forever. Forever. Now this is contrary to teaching I heard when I was a young Christian. When I was a young Christian, I heard... Fierce preachers tell me this. The Holy Ghost. That's what they call them then. Fierce. Eyes with fire preachers told me this. If you sin, he'll leave you. And uh, everyone was going, Amen. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I, uh, what hope have I got? What hope have I got? I heard preaching tell me that if I was, uh, you know, driving down the street and I had an impure thought, the Holy Spirit would leave me, come out of the car and go. Now, I've seen a few angels get out of a few cars going at top speed, but, but and maybe Jesus leaves at 90, who knows? No, I heard preaching like that. That if I failed God in any way, he would depart And then I, I, I read the Bible for myself. And I saw a Holy Spirit who does not depart 
It's almost like God has brought us, and I, I use this phrase very carefully here, our life partner. Now, I want to be careful by using a phrase like that. Someone will say, you know, Jane and I go somewhere and say, is this your partner? And I'll say, no, no, she's my wife. Can you say amen? I don't have a partner. I have a wife. And you have a husband. Is that right? Yeah, all the men said amen. I'm talking to the ladies. Come on now. Are you together? We're married. She's not my partner. She's my wife. But he does come to be a life partner. Now, where does he live? He doesn't need a room in your house, which is good, isn't it? Because you ain't got no room in your house, have you, for, if anyone to stay. But he lives in you and with you. In you and with you. And here's the beautiful thing. He doesn't leave when things get rough either. This idea that I had to be holy to have the Holy Spirit in my life, of course it's absurd. Because if I'm ever going to be in any way holy, I'm going to need him right from the start. I don't have the Holy Spirit because I'm holy. I have the Holy Spirit because I'm not holy. Do you understand? That's why we have him, to help us to live a holy life. It's not a reward. It's not a badge for good behavior. It's not, a, it's, it's not like a, a set of stars on a Sunday school chart. He comes because we are so weak. He comes because we are so fallen to lift us up. The Apostle Paul says in one of his letters, I think it's Ephesians 4, maybe verse 30, somewhere around there. He says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And of course, a good Bible student will look and see the verses before and after where that phrase appears to understand that Paul is speaking to the Ephesians and whoever was reading that letter. He was telling them, be nice to each other. That's my simple paraphrase. You know, keep your tongue in order and be nice to each other. Clearly they weren't always being nice to each other. And he says, I want you to, you know, be good and be kind and forgiving and say things to build one another up. Take away all the bitterness and the gossip and the slander from your lips. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And thus, suddenly we understand, what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit in our lives when we are unkind about other people with our tongue? Um, uh, there are many other things that grieve him, but that's a key one. But let me ask you this question today. Why, 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 why is he grieved? Why is he grieved? Well, he's grieved because he does not leave. The reason that he suffers is because he stays. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? If you're fed up with your marriage and you pick up your bag and you're gone, you're not suffering anymore. I guess maybe deep down you are. But you can leave. It may not be the will of God, but you've got the power to get in the car and go. But the Holy Spirit doesn't go. He's faithful 
to us. So let me just undo some of this idea that you, if you're not quite right, that he's off. No, I don't think so at all. There's a a beautiful story in one of R.T. Kendall's books. And I tried to look for it last night, but I think I might have given it away a few months ago. But the book tells a story which I can barely remember, but the, the little part I do remember is of a couple that decided to be missionaries. I think they were from the States. And they decided to be missionaries and they landed in this place. And forgive me, I can't even remember where it was. They had a little like chalet, very attractive chalet uh, with uh, like an open window. And wherever this country was, it was a country where there were doves flying around. Great. And the story RT tells is that while they were, you know, unpacking their stuff and beginning to live in this rented house, this rented chalet, that, that the dove would fly into their house, sort of sit in the window, or sit on the, like, the veranda, whatever it was, the balcony bit. And of course, being, you know, crazy Christians, they got all excited about that. Oh, hallelujah. There's a dove. You know. It's the will of God for us to come here. Ooh, you know. Whether God sent the dove or not, who knows. But they, they excited them. And then they noticed something. They noticed that if they made like loud noise in the, in the apartment, I don't mean that they were rowing, although I'm sure missionary couples do row sometimes, but, you know, banging the door, or if there was any, you know, loud noise, music too loud, the dove would be disturbed and would go. And that kind of, you know, upset them. And they thought, well, you know, what will happen is the bird will get used to us. Because they had a dog at home, you know. The bird will get used to us, but the bird didn't get used to them. <laughs> I don't know about you, but there's, there's no, there, there isn't dovetraining.com anyway. You can't train a dove. You can't sit down with a dove. Now, it's going to be noisy, but it's okay. And they came to this realization. That if they wanted to have the dove there, they had to adjust themselves to the dove. The dove wasn't going to adjust himself, herself, itself to them. If they wanted to have the sweetness of the presence of the dove, then they had to change what they did in their home. Now, the illustration I'm not drawing from that is that the Holy Spirit comes and goes because, as we said, that's already an Old Test- that's an Old Testament idea. So that's not the illustration that I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to draw. But there's a strong illustration to be learned from that, which is this. Because he has come, we have to adjust the way we live. We cannot do what we like. Sometimes I want to sit down with some Christians and sort of say this as though they'd never heard this before. As though somehow they didn't get this at any point in their sort of initiation into Christianity. When you're a Christian, 
You can't do everything you want. Because everything you want is not everything God wants. So we have to do what God wants, not what we want. Now the good news is, as you go on with God, the things that God wants become the things that you want. I was out with some guys uh, just uh, the other side of the weekend, you know, and uh, these are unchurched guys, all like, you know, woofing back, drink, and I hate it when I go out and they all drink. It's not because they're drinking, it's because I know we're going to split the bill at the end. <laughs> I think, I'm paying for all this alcohol, all these guys. But, you know, the guys are looking at me like, you know, I bet he wishes he could drink. (laughs) I'm just thinking, no, I don't. I don't. Now, I happen to be a teetotal guy. Perhaps I should be teetotal in more than the drinking area. But the point is that it's not a desire. I don't have a desire. Because as you go on with God, the things that God wants become the things that you want. If we trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding, in all our ways acknowledge him. And he, he, he gives us the desires of our heart. And the desires of our heart become the things that actually are the desires of his heart. So we can't do what we want. And one of the reasons why we can't do everything we want is because he's living with us. I don't know if you've ever had a family member come to stay. Now you can say that in Britain and a lot of people don't know what that means but you say that in any other country and everyone's had everyone to stay. In Britain we can be a bit mean I think about who comes to stay. But all the international people here and people listening online you know exactly what it's like to have family to come and stay. And you know full well when someone comes to stay the house becomes different. The way you live becomes different because you are accommodating your guest. I want to tell you the Holy Spirit has come to live in your heart. And you have to accommodate your guest. And he's not just any old guest, he's a holy guest. Is is that right? He's a holy guest. When you're in a marriage, of course, you you bounce off each other. You become one. I find that an amazing thing to happen. That when people get married, they, they become one in so many ways. They often speak with we. They, they really, marriage really is a union. That's how it's supposed to be. But one of the things that happens in a marriage, as many here will know, is that if the other one is, is down, then both are down. And if one is up, both are up. I remember a few months ago, I was, uh, I was having a bad day. I was down, you know, I was a bit stressed with everything. And Jane said to me, 
She said, you know, you mustn't be stressed. I said, well, why not? She said, well, if you're stressed, I get stressed. I said, don't be, that's ridiculous. I'm stressed, I'm quite happy, I'm stressed it on my own. She said, no, 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 if you get stressed, I get stressed. I said, I don't understand that. How can that be possible? Can can we get a second opinion? A doctor, somebody. That can't be true. Anyway, a few months later, then she was stressed. And it was terrible. I was so happy, you know. And she was stressed. And within half an hour, now I'm stressed. And I said, I'm stressed because you're stressed. Is that right? It happens. You ever shown up at work and the person you work with, they're moody or whatever. And it's spoiling the whole day. The person we live with affects who we are. Can I say something a bit outrageous? Sometimes the reason why you might be miserable is because of your sin. And the reason you're miserable about your sin is because the Holy Spirit is living in you. If you live according to the ways of God, you become happy. When you don't live according to the ways of God, you become sad. And part of it is to do with your conscience, part of it might be to do with your upbringing, etc. But there's an enormous dimension that I just want to remind you of today. It's because he's living in you. And this isn't a good illustration, but it will serve for now. If he's stressed, you're stressed. Now, please, let's not have that as a quote. The Holy Spirit is stressed. He's not. How are you feeling today, Holy Spirit? (laughs) No, that's not King's Church theology. Neither was everything said last week, but we'll move on from there. The point is this. If he's grieved, you'll be grieved. Now, there are certain reasons why people become depressed. And I, can I just, I, I want to be very clear what I say. I believe in the, the thing called clinical depression. I believe in medical analysis, the chemicals in the brain are not working. I, you know, I believe in that. Because someone is depressed doesn't mean there's some spiritual reason for it. There could be a chemical reason for it. I, I am a believer in that. But there are others. And the reason why you're depressed is because your guest is grieving because of the way you are living. The things you are saying and even the things you are thinking. If God is happy 
then you will be happy. Do you understand? If God is vexed, and we've read the Bible, haven't we? Don't we know he's a God full of emotions? Then that's going to pass itself on to you. The dove is not going to adjust his morality, his ethics, his standards for yours. You have to adjust your life to accommodate him. That's why, if you can keep a secret, don't tell anyone I told you this, but that's why backsliders think they're going to be happy, but ultimately they're not. And by the way, I don't mean ultimately at Judgment Day. I mean ultimately within a few weeks. Because you've got too much of God in you to enjoy the world anymore. But a backslider can't enjoy church either because they've got too much of the world in them to enjoy the kingdom of God. Do you understand? To be a backslider is probably the most miserable thing to be. Because you can't even enjoy worldliness anymore. Because your conscience has been reprogrammed to the word of God by your Christian experience. Jesus says to them, he's coming. He is the spirit of truth. He's coming to you. He's going to live in you. He's going to be with you. And he's going to be with you forever. Now let's ask the, the big question. What is it that might make him grieve about you or your, your state? What might make him grieve about me? And do we honestly think we can continue in this marriage? I don't mean me and Jane, all right? But in this marriage of the Holy Spirit and me. With me living like this. Or you living like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you understand, say amen. Had you ever thought the reason why you were unhappy was because your guest who lives in you that kingdom that is upon you. As you throw out certain parts of it. Uh, I, I believe in this, but this, I'm not doing this. I'll say what I like about anyone. I'll just, I'll, let, I'll shoot my mouth off. I'll be run entirely by pride. Or whatever it might be. Can you just imagine? The conflict between the Spirit of God and you. Going on daily, it's time to change our life, to accommodate the dove. And the good news is, it'll make you happy rather than sad. Okay. So we need to rearrange our life patterns. To accommodate his presence and plans. Number two, 
comes to reveal the big truths. John 14 and verse 26. Have a look at it with me. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Let's take a one minute just to say something about that. Your non-Christian friend might often say to you, or you might see a documentary, how could they possibly know that Jesus said what he said? How could they remember and write it all down? How can you know that when Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount that that's what he said? How could they remember? Do you remember a conversation you had yesterday? Anybody? Only if it meant something to you. Our memories are not all that good. Now, if you've been in my Bible class, you'll be well-schooled in the thought that the, the first century people had something that they called the oral tradition, that they recited things, they remembered things because they didn't write things down as we do so much. So that's one explanation. The other explanation is that the, the time between the writing of the Gospels and the events themselves is actually quite short. It's the equivalent of the Second World War and something like the 1980s. If I sat down with my mother or father in the 1980s and asked them about the Second World War, they can remember it very well. Because the, the intensity of it has helped them to remember. You ever had anyone hurt you? Anybody? Put your hand up. Someone hurt you? I bet you can remember exactly where you were. What they said exactly. I mean, you know, exactly. Because the intensity of the event helps your memory. But here's something else. Here's the faith dimension. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to help you to remember everything I've said. So there was a supernatural element to that. Go to chapter 16 and look at verse 8. He comes to reveal the big truths. Verse 8 uh, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I'm going away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus thinks the Holy Spirit is better than him. A better deal, if you like, to have him living inside permanently. But when he comes, verse 8, you all with me? When he comes... He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And then, coming to verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own. So here's the second thing the Holy Spirit was going to do for them, and he's going to do for us today. And it's very much connected with what we were saying a moment ago. He comes to show us the truth. Now, he comes to show us, I think, maybe two different kinds of truth. Number one, he shows us the truth about God. Isn't it amazing that God still has things to show you? Don't you find that amazing? 
your unchurched friend might look at you going out to church every week and they might think, she's been going to that church now for 12 years. Is there anything she does not know yet? <laughs> I mean, what is going on? Is there any, I mean, another sermon, really? Boy, oh boy. Is there anything they don't know? How can they possibly need to hear another sermon? My goodness me. Don't they know it all now? She's been going there since 1961. You say to your neighbor, praise God, he's gonna, I'm going to learn something today. Really? Are you forgetful? We know something they don't know, and that's this, that there are new things to learn about God. And there are things God wants to show you about himself that you don't know yet. Isn't that (laughs) rather mind-blowing? There are things God wants to show you about himself that you don't know yet. You say, well, what are they? I don't know. I don't know yet. And there are ways God will do that through teaching like this, of course. But maybe more fundamentally through the way he leads us in our lives. Somebody once said, now I've never quite checked this out, so perhaps I shouldn't even be mentioning it. But someone once said, and it's either totally true or mostly true, that during the desert days, during the days of leaving Egypt going into the desert, the wanderings, that God often, in a sense, permitted or even created problems for the Israelites so that he could step in and show them something about himself. And sometimes God will allow you to go through a rough time so he can show you something about himself. Let me tell you, if you're going to have a rough time, you might as well learn something about God through it. Otherwise, you're going to be going through that rough time again. He wants to make his name known to you. So we learn things about God from the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead us into truth. But the other thing, of course, we learn, we learn about ourselves, don't we? (laughs) I remember someone was doing like a correspondence course, a Christian correspondence course on the topic of humility. And um, a family member who wasn't a churchgoer said to them, why are you doing that? Why are you doing a course on humility? She said, well, because I want to be humble. The person said, why? She said, well, so that I don't get proud. I said, why? He said, well, I don't want to get proud, do I? And the answer was, don't you? What's wrong with that? It's amazing. Two different worldviews clashing. I don't know whether you've found this, but actually, do you know that the church is quite a painful place to be? Now, I don't mean in places where the seats aren't good. But they are particularly painful places. But the church can be quite a painful place. Do you know why? Because all the time, 
all the time, if it's a half-decent church too, of course. There's a giant mirror going around the place, showing you yourself. Showing you yourself. And it's one of those mirrors that you don't like to look into, you know. Like, you know, some mirrors are really good. Hey, look at that fella. (laughs) And you turn a corner, go into the loo, and there's another one. Oh, my goodness, how did I even think about coming out (laughs) you you go back in yeah hello you pack from the loo yeah I just thought I'd wear this mask for the rest of the dinner now this is a quite an uncomfortable mirror the mirror of God's word the people of this world by and large because as we know there are some really tremendous non-christian people so let's be careful There are some very moral, ethical, non-Christian people. They still need the gospel. But the vast majority of people living in Britain today, they do not have to face themselves. And certainly not to the point where they have to admit that they are wrong. And so rather than confronting themselves, they confront others. And relationships splinter and scatter all over the place. The Holy Spirit shows us things about ourselves. And that's not very comfortable. But that's one of the things he wants to do. Not to give you a downer. Not to make you depressed. But to gently speak to you. I once heard this beautiful thought. We talk about the Holy Spirit coming to convict us of sin. Is that really in the Bible? Is that really there? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Is it much more the case the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of our righteousness? He will convict the world in regard to sin, Jesus said. But people talk about the conviction of the Spirit. I'm not going to argue with that. It may be people's consciences at work as well. But isn't it much more like this, that as I'm living in a way that is contrary to the Word of God, isn't it much more that the Spirit comes to me and says this to me, not you utter failure, you sinful toad, but isn't it much more the case that He comes to me to say this, Peter, this is not who you are supposed to be. I want to convict you of your righteousness, Peter. I want to convince you that you are not this old man at all. But you are a new man in Christ Jesus. And behold, all things have passed away. Everything has become new. New creation. Isn't that what, doesn't that sound a bit more like God? Coming to say to us, not What are you doing in that relationship you shouldn't be in? Or what are you doing behaving like that? But rather coming to say, this is not what I made you for. This is not what you're destined for. This is not who you are. You are something else in Christ. That's why you don't have to be uh, dominated by pride or lust or desire. You don't have to be dominated by these things because you are righteous in Christ Jesus. 
comes to show us the truth. And the truth can be a double-sided coin, but often the truth will be this. This is not who you are. You are one of the sons of God. You are one of the redeemed in Christ Jesus. He reveals God in ourselves to us. As we ask him. Finally. Number three. He enables us to speak up for God. John 15, it's the last text we'll look at. Verse 26. John 15, 26. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says this, when he comes, he's coming to live with you, he's coming to teach you, he's coming to encourage you, He's coming to guide you. But now, number three, he is coming to empower you. But he's coming with something particular regarding that power. The power is not coming all by itself. It is coming with a message attached. The gospel. When he comes, he will testify about me and you also must testify about me. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came a sound like the rushing of a mighty wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire. It came to rest upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Oh, absolutely. In other tongues. But let's just pause before we get to that. They began to speak. When a man or woman is full of the Spirit, they begin to speak. For God. They begin to speak for God. Before the day of Pentecost, where were these adventurous disciples locked away in a room, <laughs> daring not to go out for fear they would be arrested? And now the Spirit of truth had come. Now he was in them. And he had not just come for fun. He had come with a message. Can you say message? He had come with a message. The message was to testify about Jesus. And when he came, they began to speak. They began to speak. 
They stopped praying. And they began to speak to the people. Now I know in this room and listening online, for some, actually you'd rather face the issues of unforgiveness or pride or whatever than face that woman tomorrow at work and tell her about Jesus. You'd much rather have a season of introspective examination. And by the way, please go ahead and do that. And allow God to work in us. You'd much rather pay a conference fee or a retreat and say, oh God, I need you just to you know, minister to me and tell me everything. I, I, I need a, some direction. And all these things you would do in a heartbeat rather than they began to speak. They began to speak. It's frightening to speak the gospel. Because we all did it. And we all, people looked at us funny. And they thought we were crazy. Some people think I'm a Bible bashing, ram it down your throat person. And you know full well, all you said was, yes, well, um, I'm a Christian. And they went away going, he's ramming it down my throat again. I want to say, sweetheart, I never went near your throat, let alone rammed anything down it. But there's hostility. Isn't there not? Am I telling the truth? Hostility. Don't you come here with your Jesus. But we are praying on Thursday night this week and one of the words that came in our special time of prayer was that sense we have to break the silence. And the enemy has done a tremendous job in scaring us, intimidating us, making us feel inadequate, giving us all the reasons in the world why we shouldn't share the gospel. And he has closed our mouths. Is that true? Closed our mouths. Don't speak. Don't tell them. They're not interested You know, one of the greatest sins we commit in the issue of evangelism, listen to this, please listen to this. It's the greatest mistake, and it is a terrible mistake. We make up people's minds for them. You've already decided that such and such a person wouldn't enjoy coming to Costa. You haven't asked them, you've decided for them. You've already made... It's already clear for you. You've made up their mind for them. Well, I'd like to invite people to church, but I I know they won't like it. You you never asked them. You didn't go around there with a survey. You didn't give them a lie detector test. You made up their mind for them. Oh, no, they won't like it. They won't like it. Let me go back in time to 1987 and speak to the unsaved Peter. Would Peter like it? No way. Just take a look at me now. 
I don't know the next line in case you were hoping. Uh, got to break the silence. Silence must fall. We've got to break the silence. We've got to break the silence. The problem in the society is not the, the worldliness of the society. That's always been the case. The decline of the gospel is because of the silence of the saints. Not some secret power of the serpent, it's the silence of the saints. Now there are times when it's good to be silent. Your workplace, this city, does not need an army of trained Pharisees telling people what they should and shouldn't do. There's a place for that in influencing the House of Commons and government agencies, etc. But your workplace doesn't need that because God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. And so we shouldn't be going to condemn either. But we've got to break the silence. And when he came, the spirit, into those men, and by the way, there were many women there too by that time, they began to speak. And we need to speak. And quit this funny thing of making up everyone's mind for them. Well, I'd like to invite them, but they, they won't come. They wouldn't like it. What, what, who, who are you? Who, who are you? To know the secrets of men's hearts. No, say it as it is. You're scared of inviting them. You're scared of their response. But we need to accept maybe that fear. Fear is maybe present. But courage, as someone has said, is not the absence of fear. Courage is the presence of fear, but speaking anyway. We need to take courage. Pentecost broke the silence of the disciples. And we must testify with the Holy Spirit to the person of Jesus. I'll finish with this. Of course, we know that they began to speak. And they began to speak in other tongues. I believe in speaking in tongues for today, of course. But let me just broaden the point just as we finish. What was this thing that happened that day in Acts chapter 2? They spoke in the language of the hearers. Well, that was a miraculous sign, and of course it still occurs today. But just to broaden the point, we need to break the silence. But then when we speak, we must speak in the language of the hearers. It's no good going into work and saying, have you considered being sanctified by the Lamb? I mean, these are cheap jokes, but they're worthy of telling. Are you, excuse me, have you been washed in the blood? Not that I'm aware of. 
I got into trouble a few years ago in here by saying that as best as I can, I try not to even use the word salvation when sharing the gospel. Someone took me to task over that and said, you're taking salvation out of the church. I said, no, no, I, I just want to take the word out. Because we need to speak in the language that people understand. They began to speak in other tongues. They began to speak in the languages of the people that were listening to them. And we need to work on that. Remember one time, it was a biker who was in my church in Torquay, and he went into work, and he said to his non-Christian friend, he said, oh, we had a great Sunday. God, God moved. And the guy said, where? Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.